Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. The mythology of they'll eat when they're hungry. I mean, it was, those people have never met our kids. None of this nonsense about he's hungry and there's buttered noodle. No, he just wouldn't eat. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. In the rule books, like you're never supposed to tell them what they're supposed to eat. Didn't have to be dinosaur chicken nuggets, although those were, of course, the best. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. So I think that's what today is about. Okay, welcome to the What Fresh Hell podcast. This week we are talking about picky eaters. Picky eaters, which um, actually scientists call selective eaters. So uh, I think. Or in some cases that sometimes visit my house restrictive eaters whoa is it is it a continuum like i think it it probably is is. i think it is it's like eaters selective eaters restrictive eaters and then i don't know death (laughs) i think is the next one Um, so what do you have do you you have a uh i have an extremely extremely picky eater uh then i have a selective eater and then i have a pretty regular eater so i have three i have one from every category i feel like that's par for the course Really? That, that I mean, if you have mul- if one has multiple children, that that you will end up with one who's picky and one who isn't at all, which is very important because it reinforces uh, the opposite of what society usually tells us. I feel like on this topic that it's that it's our fault yeah. if moms would just feed their children more. Um, a better variety of things if you weren't such a stupid feeder of them, then they wouldn't be a picky eater. Or the other message you hear is that, well. Put it in front of them. If they get hungry enough, they'll, they'll eat it. it. And Not I, true. yeah, and like, right. And I'm here to tell you that. <laughs> no, I, I once had a three-year-old like faint with hunger and, and throwing tantrums, but he he would not, could not eat the ham sandwich well, or whatever it was that was yeah, being offered. I mean, we've redoubled our efforts several times on this issue, and I will say, I feel that I see myself as a very confident parent in a lot of realms. Like, I don't question myself a ton about how I'm doing a bunch of things. I feel pretty confident about the way I run the house. I feel pretty confident about the way we discipline. There's a lot of things I feel like we're doing correctly, but the eating issue, I struggle with more than any other. It's my Achilles heel as a parent. Why? Because you think that you should be doing, you should be being more effective? I I just think I bought into the story that 
you know, parents offer kids select, like there's a way to do this. And um, there are all these books and I've read all of them about how to offer a healthy range of foods, not offer bribes, all of this different stuff. And we have had no success so far and we still really, really struggle with picky eating. So I think that's what today is about, right? Figuring out how do you intervene? When do you intervene? Because I think sometimes, sometimes it's something that they will grow out of, and I'm speaking from experience here, but that's not true for every kid. And it de- I think it probably depends on the severity of the picky, selective, restrictive uh, right. where they are spectrum, on the where they are on the, on the picky eating spectrum. So I, have, so I have three kids, and it was my oldest that was the picky eater, and he is now 13 and not really a picky eater anymore. Oh, God, that is such good news. I love yeah. hearing that. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I have what to. What happened? Of, when did it happen? Tell me your ways, Amy. <laughs> what? I'll I'll cut to the chase. I'll I'm cut looking to the for solution. a guru. Like I am the person wandering in the desert. Like I'll take anybody with an answer at this point. I, I he so 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 here's the thing. He was my oldest kid, and he was at you know rounding the corner of like a year, eighteen months old, a really good eater. When they when they're so excited about eating, they will eat anything you put in front of them, right? But he was. Right. I remember we went to our friend's house, and who he was a great cook, and he served pappardella with lamb ragu, and we were laughing that the eight year old and the six year old didn't want it, but this little baby in his high chair was like scarfing it up. Okay, and then, but I have to tell you that there's a reason for that. What's picky eating at eighteen months to three years becomes a biological imperative when kids become mobile they become picky eaters because they need to be able to survive in the wild. That's right. I read that. Then it's, yes. it's, it's, it's built in. It's innate that they weren't supposed right. to eat every berry off every bush. That's right. Because if in the wild, if your child is an experimental eater, they're going to kill themselves eating berries and weird things. And so everybody says, oh, my kid ate everything until they were two. But there's a reason that happens. So oh. that like everybody stopped feeling bad about that. That's a really good point, and I, and I wish I knew that then. a biological imperative. Once your kid gains mobility, their tastes become more restrictive. And yes, annoying super mom who's like, well, that never happened to my kid. Like, fine. Your kid would have died, died in the wild. <laughs> For the rest of us. I, I was mom. right in the middle of this, and I remember seeing Rachel Ray on TV. She did this whole episode, like, picky eaters. And it was just this, like, sanctimonious, like, how do you fix a picky eater? Start with yourself, mom. Oh, does Rachel Ray have children? No. Not yet. Oh right. Most yeah. of the people who are, who are, you know, saying you like look in the mirror that are that don't know what it's like. So I went suddenly from having, a you know, a one year old who would eat whatever I gave him to a three year old who memorably told the same person who made him the pappardella. We went over again and he made the pappardella remembering that my son really liked it. And this three year old wouldn't even look at it. And he said, well, come on, Connor, what do you eat? And he said, well, I eat all sorts of chicken nuggets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this paragon of reasonableness. And that my, was true. He ate, all, he ate any sort. definitely host a cooking show called <laughs> All Sorts of Chicken Nuggets, <laughs> but never chicken tenders. Like, let's be clear. He ate chicken nuggets, and any kind. It was true. It didn't have to be dinosaur chicken nuggets, although those were, of course, th- the best. Um, and he ate yogurt, and he ate penne but not any other kind of right, pasta. That's a classic Just one. Just the, the only one shape. Mm-hmm. And he also ate, you know, uh, apropos of nothing, scallion tofu. This might even be a New York City thing, but there, if you go to a bagel store and they have different flavored cream cheeses you can get on your bagel, they also have, for people who are 
non-dairy. Um, they have tofuti. And I had to be, I had to go off dairy when I was nursing said child. And he, he didn't have a dairy allergy, but he had a really tough colicky babyhood anyway um so we used to have scallion tofu around the house so he ate all sorts of chicken nuggets um yogurt and uh penne and uh scallion tofu which was so specific and hard to find anywhere else classic blueberry muffins he also ate blueberry muffins and we went on a trip to france when we were he was like four because we were insane you know we took our three kids under five to paris right um and he he ate blueberry muffins, but he literally like wouldn't eat um, a baguette or chocolate croissant. And and so imagine like I'm going around talk about first world problems. I'm running around Paris trying to find <laughs> chicken nuggets and blueberry muffins. This is the time for a violin sound effect. Not neither of which are readily available. So I just despaired. He wouldn't eat anything. It was you know an issue at, at his nursery school. I had to go sort of fight City Hall because. The, they uh, had a hot lunch or you could have a cream cheese and jelly sandwich. And I was like, can we just get jelly sandwiches? Well, no, it has to have protein. And I said, well, how about peanut butter and jelly? Well, of course not peanut butter and jelly. Right. So I, had a, I, had a, I got them to introduce a soy nut butter to the cafeteria's menu. And this kid, An innovator. the chef and like Chef Lewis, you know, this great guy. And he knew every day as the nursery school kids and then the kindergarten kids were coming through the line, he'd have a soy butter and jelly sandwich ready like under the counter for Connor because he wouldn't eat what was for lunch. And otherwise he just wouldn't eat. None of this nonsense about he's hungry and there's buttered noodle. No, he just wouldn't eat until right. he would just go. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I mean, the flip side. First of all, I have to point out that you've mentioned Paris and soy butter in the last like oh and a half. God. Yeah. You got to check yourself. <laughs> I am the problem. You are part of the problem. <laughs> um, the, the, the mythology of they'll eat when they're hungry. I mean, it was, those people have never met our kids. I mean, and I do think for my son, who has a very high anxiety point, there's a lot of... He's anxious, and the one thing he can control in pretty much his life is what he wears and what he puts in his mouth. And so he has a lot of thoughts about what he wants to wear. Doesn't like short sleeve shirts, likes long sleeve shirts. He's a lot of opinions about what he wants to wear. And he has a lot of opinions about what he wants to eat. And so I, I'm trying to find a balance between staying pretty consistent and not becoming the person who makes four different dinners because clearly that's insane and helping him work through his anxiety and not attach that to food so that every dinner just becomes a nightmare of like I mean he's it's gotten to the point where it's 7 30 in the morning he's asking me what are we gonna have for dinner and then he'll worry about it all day like wait I don't know if I could eat a pork chop you know I'll tell you the one thing that's really worked for us. Serving preferred foods with non-preferred foods has really helped us. So the one thing my kid would eat all day, every day is um, Pillsbury Crescent Rolls. You know, like mm-hmm, they come in the mm-hmm. pop tube. Um, like you can not, wrap them around hot dogs. That's how That's how I... Well, he just likes them. No, but he, not would, he would have dogs. a nervous breakdown if I wrapped it around a hot dog. Please don't ever say that in front of my kid. He, he will like run away. Screaming. He'll worry that they always might have a hot dog in them. Exactly. If they could. Um, they just have to be plain and wrapped up and exactly the way he likes them. But then that's our kind of bread. And then we'll have a different protein. Like then I can throw a pork chop down 
and the vegetable on the side. And it's like, as long as he knows that that Pillsbury crescent roll is going to be there, it calms him down for the rest of it. And then basically I'll say he eats it first and he kind of gets something in his stomach and calms down. And then he'll start exploring his plate a little bit more. He'll often ask right away, can he have another roll? And I say, you have to take a couple bites of everything on your plate and then you can have another roll. Which again, in the rule books, like you're never supposed to tell them what they're supposed to eat. Everybody but says, but if you like, didn't, then he would eat only crescent rolls. He would I eat mean, six crescent rolls for dinner every single night and nothing else. And you can't let that happen. I know that from from what I've learned about my own um, parenting an anxious child that that they can get they can get, have uh, sort of compulsions around around food things, right? That can happen, and you have to at once have compassion for that because you do know it's a symptom of the anxiety, right? It's an end, and sometimes as the anxiety can flare up, so can the uh, picky eating, selective eating, right? They can be, all of a sudden right. become very worried, and you don't, and you have to have compassion for that and know where it's coming from at the same time. I learned a very good thing from a professional, which was you, you have to don't allow the goalposts to move further and further back. You have yeah. to you have to press pack against it. You know, I have a kid who won't uh, share won't share food or drink like mm-hmm. for me to give you a sip of my milkshake is like Ew, disgusting. Right. So uh, but what we have to do for this kid who now begrudgingly will share a drink with me, but nobody else. Right. Is is to you have to continue to model that that's kind of normal behavior and it's okay you have a problem with it but most people don't and so I'm going to keep offering you a bite of my ice cream or my dessert even though I know you're going to say no because I need to normalize that behavior we need to, to not start saying nobody ever shares drinks in this house because then, then it starts to be right now I can't be at the table and anyway that's a little right. different and from picky eating food, but. but it isn't really because I think around food a lot of the problem is it's the end of the day it's 6 30 maybe at night you've had a long day everybody's had a long day you're tired and I think there's so much imagery around like the family table and much like the imagery of like oh you're rocking a beautiful great smelling newborn and your life is finally complete and what you're actually doing is like bouncing a colicky baby until your back goes out and you're just like wishing you'd never been born the imagery of like let's all sit around the family table and talk about our day and have this warm wonderful celebration devolves so quickly into let's have one kid crying because they are so afraid of green beans and it's such a difficult thing to want to face at the end of the day another thing that's really helped us on sunday i put up a board of what's for dinner every night so we don't have a lot of discussion about what's for dinner that's it's a really good idea for dinner and then your, and so, your child who's anxious about it can can plan right, ahead they can and- kind of mentally prepare themselves and then we started something last year again around um anxious theater uh where every Wednesday we try a new food. And it's funny because even my super anxious, scared um, kid who doesn't like to try things, if I serve something normal on Wednesday, he's like, but it's new food Wednesday. Why aren't we trying a new food? Because he just got excited by the idea of new food Wednesday. And then I'll serve lasagna and he'll be miserable the entire time, occasionally in tears. And then the next day he'll go to school and say, oh, we tried lasagna last night for new food Wednesday. It was great. 
It's so bizarre. It's it's marketing, you know. They, it's I, all marketing. I got my picky eater when he was about four to start but eating. But to be clear, edamame. he does not eat lasagna. Like he does not eat lasagna, except if it's New Food Wednesday, then he'll. But he, does, he even then, like he barely tastes it. So it's not quite working. But there's something about it that's working. You're putting it in his path, which is what you're supposed to do, yeah. right? So so something that worked for me is they used to have I don't know why they had SpongeBob edamame, and you could get little frozen individual frozen packs I don't even know if they have this in stores anymore but I I brought this home and my four-year-old you know of course it had Spongebob on it he would eat anything that had Spongebob on it so I then started to say like look at these Dora the Explorer cucumber sticks and I started totally McDonald'sing things in my house putting them in bags and decorating them with Dora the Ex- a sticker of Dora the Explorer and he caught on after a while but right. it worked and I think you do you do what works if you have to put the um if you put the apple slices in the happy meal box that you brought home three days ago and the kid will eat it then then whatever you're helping them succeed and broaden their diet and feel more secure which is the point not to not to yell not to have um conflict right all right well i think that's a good place to break we're going to take our first break and um share this little comedy piece with you And we'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say and making diaper changes a breeze for trusted protection trust pampers the number one pediatrician recommended brand download the pampers club app today and earn pampers cash then redeem your pampers cash for exclusive pampers coupon savings and rewards only redeemable via pampers club pampers cash has no cash value Hello, Hellions. You know we listen to a lot of podcasts that aren't our own. And today we want to tell you about a podcast that really speaks to us and will speak to any parent of a child with special education needs. The podcast is called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube. And it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. One of my kids has an IEP, and I found this podcast so validating and so helpful. I feel better equipped to advocate for my child's educational needs now. This podcast is helpful for parents in many different situations, whether your child already has an IEP or you're just starting to wonder if they might need extra support in the classroom. Juliana has content for kids of all ages and for kids who are learning English as an additional language as well. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. So I have been taking my Nutrafol regularly, and oh my goodness, it works. Friends, I'm here to say, 
Ditto. It works. I mean, most of us will experience hair thinning at some point in our lives. And yes, it's perfectly normal. But if you also see your part getting a little wider, join the over 1 million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your age, your lifestyle factors, because a one-size-fits-all approach to hair products isn't practical. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth by targeting key root causes of thinning like stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism. So take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code LAUGHING. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code LAUGHING. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code LAUGHING. If you like food TV, you'll just love Food TV Junior. Offering a range of programming that covers the topics kids care about most. Tune in tonight when our programming kicks off with Why Are These Foods Touching? The bees are touching my bread. I'm not eating that. Why are these foods touching? If you make me eat this, I will cry. At 7.30, we bring you our beloved classic, That Looks Weird. Is that something green? That looks weird! Why did you make this? Are you trying to torture me? Immediately followed by back-to-back episodes of all sorts of chicken nuggets. Yay, chicken nuggets! And don't forget to tune in Saturday for an all-day marathon of That's Not How Liam's Mom Makes It. She doesn't make that weird brown part on top. That looks really gross. Not gonna eat that. Food TV Junior, where kids come to eat. That smells like vomit. Can I just have a sandwich instead? Okay, we're back. Tell me what you think about the whole um, sneaky chef kind of let's hide, you know, pureed vegetables in our brownies kind of approach. I made, I bought one of those books and I made um, like sneaky ice cream and it was banana and avocado and some like (laughs) cocoa powder. It was, I thought it was pretty good. It tasted, you know, you think you put it in the freezer and it's chocolate ice cream. It fooled my kids zero and I oh, ate all that avocado ice cream. It didn't fool them at all. Um, I don't think it's so bad necessarily, but I don't think it always works. And it isn't addressing the problem of having your kid have this neophobia. I've heard it called that too. They're, they're actually afraid of new things. They're not being willful. They're not being, um, trying to give you a hard time, right? They're actually afraid and my and my picky eater was he had um reflux as a newborn oh he I mean he was a nightmare newborn until I finally went off dairy we had to do a special diet for him and kids who have that uh sometimes do go on to be picky eaters because they've connected food with pain at an early stage so once I I figured that out I was more I think that is really what's scary about the whole picky eating thing is that Eating is something that you have to do for your entire life. 
And it's just so loaded. It feels like there's a way you can really screw it up. And my sister's husband, who this is, he's sort of my talisman, my touchstone, because he and my sister are kind of, you know, home chefs. They love to cook and they love to, I mean, um, they'll go to a restaurant and, you know, these farm to table restaurants. And we were out with them one night and the waitress kind of said like, oh, it's just a whatever of warning, like another Paris soy alert. Like here's my farm to table <laughs> restaurant experience. Turn on your radio if you so don't want to listen. Relatable. That's one thing you could say about us. <laughs> um, but she basically said, okay, it's, you know, we just bring out this menu and there's no menu. We just bring stuff out to you. Is there anything you don't eat? And um, my brother-in-law said eyeballs. That was his breaking point. Like brain, fine, liver, <laughs> meats. I was like, I don't, I got to stop like eight steps before that. Um, I don't even <laughs> want to go into like the organs. I just, muscles only, you know. Um, but his mom says that he lived on peanut butter sandwiches as a kid. He would not eat anything else. Peanut butter sandwiches only. So what and was the turning point? Just stops at eyeballs. Like, that's amazing. So how did this brother-in-law go from only peanut butter sandwiches to eyeballs? Okay, that, I'm going to admit right now, that would have been a really good follow-up question. I don't know. I was just <laughs> so excited to hear it that I was like, yay, it's all going to be okay for me. So that's, I'm that pretty sure the mom didn't son. do anything. I'm pretty uh, sure the mom didn't do anything. I, just I, was like, kept on keeping on. Nothing really worked for me with this picky eater, but he's now 13. And so I, 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 I said I was going to start with the solution and then, then we, we didn't. But the solution was puberty in in his case that he eventually just was so hungry and was growing so fast that he needed more food and uh the other the other part two of that was sleepaway camp he went to sleepaway camp where they did have a variety of food and it was something that I approached with some trepidation to make sure they'd have they always had the plain pasta and the yogurt and the bagels around for kids who don't like anything um but in the end all of a sudden when Mr. Cool college sophomore made his special chicken wings that are for dinner tonight, uh, my son came home eating all this stuff that the cool college students had made. So it, uh, that's what worked for us. I think peer pressure is, is important and good. Um, I don't know. They do food tastings at the kids' school. I think I have played some negative role in this whole thing because they do food tastings at my kid's school and I went to one and my, and a lot, it was like roasted broccoli. Like, oh, taste it. Broccoli can actually taste good. And I would say 70% of the kids tried it and maybe 45% of the kids asked for seconds and were kind of all in on the, oh, broccoli is delicious kind of, you know, theme of the day. And neither of my kids tried it. And I just thought, I'm doing something wrong. Yes, but it was good that they were at least exposed to other kids saying, mm, this is good. Yeah. And it wasn't you saying it, it was their peers saying it. I bet that uh, that that starts to accrue, I would think. It must. Let's go with that it does. Let's, I let's, need go with, let's go with feeling better about that, right? I will say, I have my overall experience with parenthood has been an arc of, oh my God, panic, this is a disaster, I don't know what I'm doing, terror, terror, everything's off the rails, to wait, it all kind of worked out, and I'm not quite sure how. I wish I hadn't spent so much time worrying about it. Yes. And I I wish I could convince myself that the food issue was in that same category. Well, it's tough because it isn't something you, you 
can leave a, I don't think it gets better on its own if you leave it alone. I mean, it was something I still could worked with my son with. Could you just tell me then it is, though, so I could stop worrying <sighs> about it? I mean, it didn't really resolve on his own until he decided to do something about it, which so for it him was being hungry. So it did resolve on its own. I thought that's what you just well, gave me all this hope. <laughs> it resolved on its own, but but it was... I, I saw the reason that you can't just let it be. You have to help them work around it. We'd he'd have anxiety. We'd be going to somebody's house for a cookout in the summertime, right? And he he'd be six years old, and I remember he he'd be a little bit teary on the way there. Mom, what am I going to have to eat? And I didn't want to kowtow to it by bringing a peanut butter and jelly with me or a soy nut butter or whatever. So I wouldn't bring food so that he'd have to figure out when he got there. And there were times when he'd have a roll with ketchup. And that was dinner. And then he started to have a roll with tomato and ketchup. And that was that. And then and when eventually. A roll with tomato and ketchup to me is like 80 you would dream of that? in the distance. I would dream of that. <laughs> it involves a vegetable. Like, new food Wednesday. Of that. Next new food <laughs> Wednesday. Guys, this week, t- rolls with tomatoes and ketchup. Just two kinds Enjoy. of high fructose corn syrup oh. in one dinner. Um, but he, he yeah, it was, a, it was a situation that I had to help him navigate. He went, I guess he probably started out by having potato chips and then a roll and then a roll with ketchup. And and it was a difficult situation that I would help him navigate without bailing him out entirely, if you know what I, you know what I mean. I didn't bring that, other food for him. What you're saying is very familiar to me in that my picky eater, like my sister and her husband took all the kids for the weekend. We went away somewhere and they had a great time, but there was an incident where pasta was served for dinner and my son does not eat pasta. And he became extremely undone. Like, this is exactly what I feared. All my terrors are coming true. I'm being asked to eat pasta. And they worked it out and just gave him something else to eat and kind of said, you know, we're not gonna force the issue. But and now, whenever we go to go to my sister's house, he says to me, is she gonna make me eat pasta? Like, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a post-traumatic stress memory of this thing of like, I was out of control. And the only food was something I can't eat. And I think it's real for him. I mean, it seems silly, but it's it's not silly to him. It's absolutely real. And he and he doesn't want to feel that way. And so Yeah. And I, don't I will know. say he has a higher anxiety set point than other kids. I mean, what what I think you can teach most kids is like preferred food. There's kind of find a couple enough things you like. So wherever you can go, you can eat reasonably. Like those things all work for my other two kids. But then we have one kind of special case. But I think we're still arriving at certain things here, which is that consistency is still key. Consistency of what? Consistency of still serving certain foods, offering certain foods, trying to pare down the anxiety around food by saying, you know, at the cookout, you can find something to eat, even if it's a roll with tomato and ketchup. Right, I will help you find, find something. Chips. But we're well, not- you will figure out how to find something for yourself. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. That's a lot of life. It, it, it just, it, I think you, ha- you have to just con- continually be pressing back against it I don't know. Maybe maybe you could try to do sort of hamburgers and pick your own toppings kind of thing. Yeah. That's actually it. That's it. You have it's to just, pick two and then they can then they have then they have some agency but they also are being introduced to things. Yeah. I think that's definitely a huge part of it. Here's the other thing you have to be careful of when you have a picky eater. Is like I was saying about you have to have the goalpost and not allow that to move further back, right? You have to sort of hold the fort, so to speak. Um 
you have to be careful of well-meaning relatives and grandparents and things like that talking about I've had I've had my picky eater talked about like that oh well he's the picky eater he won't eat that you remember Mikey from the Life right. Cereal? He won't eat it. He hates yes. everything. And he ate it. He liked it. See? so but, but, Mikey. We, you taught us so much. Hey, hey Mikey. But but my kid. Half I, the people listening are like, who the right, hell is Mikey? We're so old. Uh, but but my kid was held up as an example of, of oh, either, either people decided ahead of time he wouldn't eat something because he doesn't eat things like that set in front of him. Or you don't want to be a picky eater like your older brother, your cousin you're not a picky eater like him, so I'm going to see you finish this. And I think like we, you can't allow the sort of larger world to reinforce the narrative that that's who your kid is. We just had a, something, at the, I don't remember what the specific example was, but it doesn't even really matter, that people were passing something around the table and my husband said, oh, our son won't, won't, won't want that. He won't want, and I... I thought, oh, this is what we've got to be careful of. Exactly. That's exactly and what I mean. And I do it too sometimes. Like as the bowl is passing around, you offer it every time. And another thing is, I mean, you hear this statistic a lot and I'm not sure whether it's how accurate it is. And I haven't really seen it played out in our lives. But the um, the idea that you have to offer a food 20 times, that someone has to try something sometimes 20 times before it becomes a familiar food to them. And so... That's the consistency of always offering it. And so if someone says, I don't like peppers, you know, that you just continually, continually offer it. And it's true, like I always, I spent my life saying, I don't like peppers, I don't like peppers. And I don't really like the taste, but I married a guy from Texas and all they eat is Tex-Mex food. And it just suddenly wasn't that practical not to eat peppers. And now I've sort of started engaging with peppers and now I kind of eat them and it's fine they're still not my favorite but it's not I do think if you are consistently exposed to different foods you're more likely to try and like different foods and that's important but of course for a mother that's easier said than done like okay I can serve I can slice up a cucumber 20 times or dump those mini sweet peppers in a bowl with some hummus 20 times I'm not going to make chicken paprikash 20 times when my kids don't uh (laughs) Right. don't like it uh, right it, that was always what was hard for me uh, you know when my kids were little is that they they wanted hot dogs for dinner that would be amazing right like McDonald's for dinner pizza for dinner hot dogs they would love that they would think I was a much better mom than if I tried to put together I don't know tofu lasagna someone told me uh, I think a pediatrician when I brought I think my first baby home that parenting is 50-50. It's 50% what works for the baby and 50% what works for the mom. And that that, I think, is a rule that can apply to all situations, and I think it applies really well here. Like, it's okay 50% of the time to do chicken nuggets and pizza. That's kind of what works for the kids. And then what works for the mom is introducing new foods, trying to keep those goalposts, saying, hey, when we go somewhere outside of the house you know I'm not bringing a peanut butter sandwich so you'll have to figure something out in those situations and I think it's a really good rule of thumb and it applies here I think I think that the the picky eating thing starts to self-resolve once the picky eater is motivated to do something about it like you said when you got to college or when you're spending a lot of time with your husband's family or my son at sleepaway camp thinking you know what I don't want to I don't want to walk into the 
dining hall with my stomach in knots that what if there's not Captain Crunch this morning? So I guess I better <laughs> I better right. address this. But eventually, Thanks, right. So fellas. eventually there'll be influences besides mom that will help the picky eater broaden her horizons because she knows it's in her best interest and she doesn't want to have this anxiety around what's on the table. Um but right. until then, is, we have to do, I think we have to, I don't think it self-resolves without any intervention on the parent's part, but I think, I think the parent has to intervene, like leave the guilt behind, right? Because that's not useful, but then figure out a way that you can push back that's, that's useful and effective for your kid, which is not the same for every kid, obviously. Right. And it's not a one-to-one, like it's not, if you serve chicken nuggets, your kid will never eat properly. It's not a one-to-one of like, if you offer a, a rainbow every day, eat a rainbow, that your kid will suddenly become, you know, a kid who eats everything and orders soft shell crabs off the menu. Like, there isn't such a one-to-one, you're not so in control of this, that you sort of set good parameters and the biggest thing in every part of parenting is that you model correct behavior. And that's something I struggle with because my go-to breakfast is a Diet Coke and a energy bar like I'm a terrible (laughs) eater in the morning and especially when I'm rushed and that's something I've had to kind of work on like okay that's not good modeling for my kids I think I do think 90% of what kids learn is what they watch I mean so you could talk about it and you can do like take a bite and you get a brownie or you can do you know eat everything on your plate or you go straight to bed or you can do I'm just going to offer it and say nothing but if you're modeling joy in food and you know a happy table where people are eating and and that food is part of exercising and being healthy and like gosh we had a good breakfast because let's go out and like ride our bikes all day just modeling really good healthy relationships with food is the most important thing you can do right yes i think that it is all right so let's talk about what we've arrived at i think one important thing we've learned is to keep it simple like, don't start with pheasant under glass and then just have a, a, a dinner where every, you've worked for four hours on a meal and everybody hates it and everyone's upset. That's and right. Like, you've cooked for all, all day and all you have is a table full of kids being like, that looks like vomit. Right. Uh, Allow for s- not good. small victories for you and for your kid are great. You, you've brought in the cucumbers and if you put a, the rice wine vinegar on them, all of a sudden they gobble them up. Great. And you have, and they can feel good about that and so can you and it took two minutes. Right. So take it slow, keep it simple and small changes. Yes. And I think eventually know know that it's not your fault, even though it's something you're struggling with, and know that your kid will take more agency and sort of widening his or her diet when they feel the need to do so, when the when the pain in the rear uh, experiences of birthday parties and cookouts and dining halls become more trouble than they're worth. Right. And so that, I would say, our, our conclusion that we've reached there is like, know your role. Like, you do have a role in this. Your role is keeping the goalposts, not bringing the peanut butter sandwich to the cookout, not bending over backwards, but kind of learning your kids' needs, limits, anxieties and continuing to model and offer healthy food choices consistently and letting your kids find themselves within those. I think that's right. All right, that sounds good. That's right. And I, I for myself, have to keep a really um, positive point of view. Like, I'm already saying to myself, like, they're not going to do that. That's Amy's weird, <laughs> great eater, fancy Paris kids. Like, my kids would never do that. But I'm going to try to That's keep your attitude positive. 
and don't fall into the story of my kids don't eat anything in my life is a nightmare. Like you just keep offering and keep, and I think keep trying to keep the, the table a really positive place and have, this is one other thing that we do, which I think it has been helpful. We have a ritual at dinner time where everybody says what was their favorite part of the day. That's part of dinner. We all sit down together, we're eating what's on the table and we say our favorite part of the day. And even at dinners, where people have been upset about the offerings and having a hard time, they still participate in favorite part of the day. And I think that kind of helps. Like there's more to dinner than just whether or not you want to eat Brussels sprouts. That's it's a really about good point. a communion that with your family and a fun experience and a positive part of your day, whether or not you happen to like what's being served. If you don't like the Brussels sprouts you, and you have to live with a little bit of discomfort of them sitting there on your plate while you don't eat them and you talk about your day, then that's if if you can at least get your picky eater to do that so that they can exist in a world of foods yes. they don't and like. I will say I struggle enough with my picky eater that I have problems with that. Like there are times where my goal is just get him to sit with it on his plate without freaking out. Like and that, that's, and that's an okay. anxiety and that's, level that he has around it. And that that's a, that's a step forward for us some nights. Like you don't even have to taste it if you can sit here with it on your plate without having a nervous breakdown. I think that's, and I think you should feel good about that because that is a step forward and it is what you're managing to get done. And it's better than just handing him a peanut butter sandwich every night until he goes to college because that's all he'll eat anyway. That's not going to help him. You have to, He's going to have to help himself, but you, you are putting the... Um, the ability to do more in his path and then I think you have to not let it become a power struggle between you and you have to let That's him right. kind of just talk go less it. about it and God, I mean if all, of all the things like I do and I want to be clear I have a tremendous amount of anxiety about this topic and I wish that I could just fast forward to the future and see whether it's all going to turn out okay in terms of this stuff because I worry about it quite a bit. I mean, it's easy to talk about like, well, here's this solution and here's this talking point and here's this idea. It's extremely anxiety producing, but I have reached a point where I feel like what I want my child's memory of the family table to be is talking about our favorite parts of the day and not fighting about whether or not you have to take one more bite of pee to get another part of food. And I think, I feel instinctively that it is the correct approach and that we'll get there from here and that people you know will comment on the fact that my kids are picky eaters but I, I mean okay we're doing our best we're trying we're making it about something else and like we're we're consistent in offering other things and that's our system it's not it's not about your bad parenting it's sensitivity that's innate to your child it's sensitivity that's innate to my picky eater who also used to fuss about which shirt and tags in his clothes and that kind of thing. Yes. Some kids so are more there's sensitive. All, there's, a, there's a whole group of, of sensitivities that are not just about, I don't, pasta taste squishy. It's right, it's tags, it's the whole thing. They're sensitive kids. It's baked in the cake, and so you have yes. to not feel bad about that because that's useless. As my grandmother Conroy says, he didn't lick it off the sticks and stones. He comes from a, <laughs> a line of people who have a lot of sensitivity. <laughs> And so we're staying consistent, we're keeping it simple, we're doing what we know works, and we're talking about our favorite part of the day and not food. Love it. All right, so we wanna know about your picky eaters. What are they eating? What are they not eating? 
And what are you doing about it? Come join the conversation on Facebook at What Fresh Hell Podcast or on Twitter at HellFresh. Or visit our website, WhatFreshHellPodcast.com for links to other episodes and some of the things we've discussed on today's show. If you enjoy the show, please give us a rating on iTunes and reach out to us with questions or show topic suggestions by email at WhatFreshHellPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep. Oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.